The wait is over. The best part of the year for college basketball. Guys, it's here. The regular season is over. It's conference tournament week. Selection Sunday is in less than a week. And after that, it's finally time for March Madness. Welcome to Beyond the Bracket, a special edition series of the Sportsbeat KC podcast that's here to get you ready for the NCAA tournament. Presented by the First Federal Bank of Kansas City. I'm Lila Bromberg, and each week I'm going to be bringing on some of the best reporters and columnists from around the country to discuss college hoops. We have perspectives from the East Coast to the Midwest to the West Coast today. I'm joined by CL Brown, who covers North Carolina for the News and Observer, along with Joe Davidson, a columnist for the Sacramento Bee. Thank you guys so much for hopping on. Good to be here. <laughs> Great to be here. So the regular season is officially over, and it went out with a few eye-popping results over the weekend, and we'll get into that and preview all the conference tournaments, the major ones. Hopefully we have enough time to get in some mid-majors and the Mountain West, because I think those are going to be a ton of fun. Uh, But first, CL, you covered a very historic game over the weekend. It was Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor, which had been hyped up all week. There's that pregame ceremony with a ton of former players and you know, just was crazy, kind of a whole ordeal around it. But UNC came in and spoiled Duke's night with a 94-81 win, despite coming in as heavy underdogs. I want to get your thoughts on what allowed the Tar Heels to come in and do that. But, you know, first, I just got to ask, what was that environment like to be in there covering a game? Yeah, it, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was one of those uh for this to just be a regular season game, when you put it in perspective of that and not have an actual championship at stake, um, I, I couldn't really think in my in my actual reporting career, I couldn't think of a comparable situation to, to what it was like. I, the closest I could come to it was I, I uh, covered Louisville, uh, the last game they played in Freedom Hall, you know, which is such a venerable and historic venue, but it did. It wasn't this. <laughs> it wasn't this. And they played a, a number one Syracuse team in it and pulled off an upset um, back then in 2010. But this was just, it was seeing basically 42 years of Duke basketball tradition. You know, all of the big names were here, the Grant Hills, the Christian Leitners, um, Danny Ferry, you know, just on down the line from, from start to end of, of Coach K's career. So for Carolina to go into a situation like that where uh, – and, and Carolina had a, had a situation at home where, you know, the 82 national title team was back, including MJ himself, you know, and, and uh, Jordan spoke to the team in the locker room. I think it was after that game and everything like that. So they had a similar situation, and they used that for a big win. Um, against Florida State, they shot the lights out like it was like Florida State didn't have a chance that game. But I felt like with Duke, it it kind of felt more pressure mm-hmm. <laughs> for for the Blue Devils to to not necessarily play perfect, but you know, I I just felt like it, it it was more difficult. It wasn't freeing. It wasn't it wasn't like you know, um, it it just seemed like it was more of an albatross, and so. I think that that helped that Carolina went into a situation where Duke uh, necessarily wasn't at its best. But the Heels hadn't played well in a big game all year. Uh, well, I'll, I'll take that back. Against Purdue in the tip-off classic uh, Hall of Fame 
tip off in November. They played, they played, that was a, that was a high level game. Um, they ended up losing by nine, but they competed, had, had a lead in the second half for a split second, <laughs> took mm-hmm. a one point lead after coming back from like down nine, but they, they showed fight in that game fight that they didn't have when they lost by 29 at Kentucky or 28 at, at Miami, uh, 22 to Wake Forest. And even in the first game against Duke, they just didn't have that same kind of fight that they had Saturday night in Cameron. But I, I think, you know, they, they seem to be putting it together now at the right time. They've won their last five straight going into the ACC tournament. So we'll see if this is really a springboard for them to uh, play up to their potential. Still, what, what's wrong with the coaches and not shaking hands afterwards? <laughs> is, are we misreading that? Is it bad? Is it tension? Is it typical North Carolina? Dude? You know, it's what's it's sad. national news and it looks bad when, when coaches aren't shaking hands. Yeah, this is probably some some inside baseball here for for us because what's what's horrible. As soon as I wrote that story, I was like, this story is going to be read more than <laughs> more than the stories that I put a lot of time into and try and put thought into. But the story of of handshake gate, <laughs> uh, you know, did did numbers that were bigger than than the rest of the stories. But it, it came down to I think really the the sheer amount of people in Cameron and Carolina's locker room is uh, when, when you come from the locker room to the court in Cameron, you have to pass in front of Duke's bench. And so there were still a lot of players um, when Hubert Davis was coming out, there were still a lot of the, the former players who were filing into the, to the bleachers sitting behind Duke's bench. It, it was just commotion. Like it wasn't just a tip, a, a typical game there would be no one there. So you're walking by and you will, you'll be right in front of the coaches and you see, you know, um, but here it was still so many people kind of around. I, I don't know if Hubert didn't, if it was just too difficult or whatever before the game and he didn't feel like going through it, or if he really was shielded from, from actually seeing them. I, I, I couldn't see Hubert until he actually got to like right in front of the scores table. And I saw him and coach K shake hands. Um, so I, I didn't even know it before the game that he didn't shake the assistant's hand. So um, the, the funny thing is, I think if if Duke won that game, they would have shaken hands <laughs> afterwards. It's exactly but, right. Yeah. But, you know, um, I, I think it's it's fun for the rivalry. I, I, I do think it's a, a little bit of a big nothing. Um, I think the next time they see, which could be in the ACC tournament, uh, they could face in the, in the title game. The way both teams are playing, I wouldn't be surprised to see that that third game happen again. Um, I, I don't think it would be any carryover. Uh, no, Nolan Smith, one of the assistants who actually shook Hubert Davis's hand, but he kind of did the look away shake. <laughs> um, one of the nicest guys in the world, like you know what I mean. Like he, I, he's not somebody who would carry a beef. Uh, Chris Carwell um, is a good dude. Like you know, like. It, it, it's it's all silly <laughs> when you it think is. about it, but uh, but it, it is fun in, mm-hmm. in the context of the rivalry and just something else to it to speaks talk of the intensity. You know, they call it the they call this podcast the the look away shake. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it didn't morph into a uh, Juwan Howard uh, of Michigan and, and Wisconsin, yeah. and there's been a lot of discussion, uh, Leela, about. You know, maybe these post game well, post game handshakes should should go away, especially at this time of year. Especially when 
your next loss in the tournament uh, it would be your final loss. So I, I hope we don't get there because I think it's important to have sportsmanship and, you know, be mature enough to go through those lines and shake hands and make eye contact because everybody's filming, everybody's watching. And, you know, it's easy for us to say because, uh, you know, these guys are the ones under a lot of pressure and, and the intensity and the adrenaline and everything's going 100 miles an hour. But let's hope that that the days of post-game handshakes uh, don't go away. Um, I mean, they're needed and people are watching and that's good. It's good examples of how to handle defeat or how to handle victory too. Yeah. And I think with that game, it's just, it was very clear also just the whole thing after them doing that kind of ceremony after you could just kind of see how uncomfortable it was at times. It seemed like coach K was just kind of a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, you have, you know, this whole uh, ceremony, this whole thing. And I think that adds to it too, is just having that day spoiled um, but, but in terms of what this does for UNC, now they're, you know, in the latest bracketology from ESPN's Joe Lenardi today, they're up to an eight seed. I was kind of shocked to see them get into the top 25 AP poll this morning, but they're in there at num- number 25. CL, you mentioned that they're kind of building momentum now for the postseason. What do you think this does for their season? And also just for kind of the narrative around the first season that Hubert Davis is having leading this program. Yeah, I was going to say, first and foremost, I feel like for Hubert Davis, it, it wasn't a very loud or vocal section of the fan base, but there was certainly a, a subset of fans who um, questioned if he was the guy that should have, you know, gotten the job. And uh, <laughs> this goes a long way to, to quieting those folks. Now, ultimately, for him and for John Shire next year at Duke, um, it's about the postseason. Like, you know, it's 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 going into Brooklyn and winning the ACC championship. It's it's going into the NCAA and, and you know, getting to a Final Four, competing like that for a national championship. That ultimately is what's going to be what keeps mm-hmm. him here or or uh, sends him <laughs> into, into coaching retirement or something. But... Um, it definitely, that's like an all-time argument ender right. for Carolina fans right now. Like, you know, Coach K's, what happened in Coach K's last game <laughs> in Durham, you know? So um, it, it's 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 huge for Hubert. It's huge for this season. I think it's, it's definitely the confidence boost that they needed because, you know, like I said, they every good team they've played basically – you know, more or less, they've they've come away not only with a loss, but like these soul crushing, you know, mm-hmm. ego deflating kind of losses. So it was important. It, and Hubert Davis said this after the game. It was important for them to play well, you know, regardless of the outcome. It was important for them to play well and that they did it, that they stayed focused, that the starters played all 20 minutes in the second half, you know, um, which was crazy. Uh, and, and they only ended up having one turnover in that second half. I, I think all of those things give this team the confidence that I'm not sure they necessarily um, always had this season. And some other results for the weekend, I'll just kind of go over really quick and maybe get your reaction, Joe, before we get into the conference breakdowns. Memphis beat uh, Houston, which was ranked 14th at the time, 75-61 to get the season sweep there and likely lock up a spot for Memphis in March Madness after a beginning of the season that just was 
going wrong in every direction. They're now, you know, very likely going to make that field with a season sweep over Houston. Nebraska upset number 10 Wisconsin by one point, and Illinois beat Iowa to claim a share of the Big Ten regular season championship. And then we're recording this on Monday, so things can, we might have some more teams added to the list by the time if you're listening to this on Tuesday. But through the weekend, we had three teams clinch March Madness bids. The Longwood Lancers beat Winthrop to win the Big South tournament and punch their ticket. The Lancers are 26 and 6 this season. Uh, Loyola Chicago beat Drake and won the bid for Missouri Valley. It's their first year under Sean Valentine, who is the youngest coach in Division I, which means that Sister Jean is going dancing again, which is great. And the Murray State Racers, who you know were already heading to the NCAA tournament, regardless of whether they won or not, but they were able to beat Moorhead State to lock up the automatic bid for the Ohio Valley Conference. And the Racers are 30-2 this season, with their only losses to Auburn and ETSU. That's a team that could be a lot of fun in March. Looks like they can maybe create some upsets there. Were there any results, whether ones I mentioned or otherwise, Joe, that stood out to you over the weekend? Oh, yeah, good stuff there. And, you know, when you when we start talking March Madness, you have to mention Sister Jean. I mean, she's yeah. been <laughs> such a good storyline over the years. That's just what makes it fun. Everybody gets involved. And, and the other thing that's fun about the, these tournaments is who are these teams, where they're from? What, what, who, what's Murray State? Well, we know they're the racers, 30 and 2. Um, you know, to see schools like uh, these football, traditional schools like Nebraska doing things. And, you know, they try to, you know, CL knows what I'm talking about. These schools, they want to be great in everything. And they, if you think of Duke and North Carolina, great in basketball since the 1970s, not so much in football. It's hard. You, you just don't see where they're great in um and everything at once, um, you know, Memphis was great uh, in the eighties and had some problems. And so a chance to come back and, you know, a lot of sec schools um, um, as well. And, and another upstart, I would think it would be, um, you know, um, Eric Musselman and the Arizona um, Razorbacks. I got to know him when he was the Kings coach for a year and then he was coaching in Nevada. And the guy is just a, I'm veering off course a little bit here, but he's just an impact coach. And I think what everything that you're saying um, here, uh, Lila, is there's so much parity. Um, we see Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, Auburn, Kentucky are top of the national rankings, Kansas do. Um, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, CL knows that, right? Um, it doesn't mean anything. And then we've heard a lot of, of chatter that um, it could be any number of teams that, uh, I mean, is there an overwhelming top seed? Is that going to be Gonzaga? or Arizona, um, you know, so that's, that's what makes it fun. And the other thing that's great about having all this stuff back is in Sacramento two years ago, um, Golden One Center, one of the great arenas in, in the world, it's a new building, was set to host um, some NC2A March Madness fun. And that's, and I was doing those stories right when the pandemic hit and it shut it all down uh, all across the country, all those dominoes. So to get these um, back, I, we had tournament, tournament games last season, certainly, but limited fans and Zoom meetings. And it just was so different. And I'm sure that was so great for you, CL. You were there among all the people and that noise and in person. It, it just, yeah. it's, you know, March Madness is meant for live crowds and not Zoom and, and social distancing and bubbles and all that. So kudos to all, all of that. And not to mention the massive uh, financial boost for, for these cities. Um, you know, things like that, even the ACT tournament group, 
going to Brooklyn. That's just a big boost there. And some of these tournaments are in Las Vegas and they're outside of their, you know, the big sky tournament uh, here in, on the West coast is in Boise. And we have intrigue with there uh, for, for us at Sacramento B because we have uh, Sacramento state in it. And yeah, you know, Sacramento state and UC Davis aren't good enough to get into the big, uh, the big dance, the NCAA tournament, unless they win their conference tournament. And UC Davis has done that a couple of times, quick exit, um, you know, but, um, it's just neat to, it's just neat to be back and, and, and kudos to the parody across the board. It's everywhere. Yeah. So you mentioned the ACC tournament being held in Brooklyn. Uh, you guys did, have had some great coverage CL just kind of on that now being in Brooklyn, kind of how people in North Carolina are feeling with it, not being in, in Greensboro. Uh, what's kind of a vibe there. It's, it, it's strange, you know, to see the ACC being not held in North Carolina. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you know, when when you're used to the tradition of of it always kind of being around here, and and thinking back to the the what what locals call the Big Four, North Carolina, Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest. Back in the day, they they used to play their own little tournament in season of the Big Four tournament before you know ACC play in the ACC tournament. I I think more than anything else, it's, it's really about how the tournament is embraced. You know, you go to Brooklyn, you're a block away from the Barclays center and you'll have people that have no idea (laughs) a basketball tournament is even going on, you know, much less being able to identify any of the players or teams um, or most of the players of the teams, but in, in Greensboro, it's the event, you know, everybody is talking about it. Everybody is living and breathing the ACC tournament, even, even when it's in Charlotte, it's kind of the same thing because it's, you know, that's, that's just what uh, North Carolina, you know, that's just how we roll down here. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also, there is something to be said about, you know, the tournament needing to, that's part of the reason why Maryland left the league for the big, big 10. They always had uh, issues with feeling like it was catering to the Mm -hmm. North Carolina schools. Um, and the ACC tournament, frankly, well, the ACC as a conference is bigger than just North Carolina and it's, and they need to have it in different locations. So, um, I, I think the last time I was in Brooklyn for it, I, I think it went over well. I think it was, it was a great tournament, but, um, I think they're doing it right. I mean, it'll be back in Greensboro next year, you know, but you do need to have it in different places just to, uh, you know, just to kind of spread the love, if you will. Um, it's kind of funny too, though, the, the fact that they've had it in DC. Uh, I think it was in 2016 when they had it the last time in DC and it'll, it'll be going back, you know, without Maryland there. Kind of in, in, yeah. In it's the so weird. They're not in the ACC. It definitely made yeah. things uh, a pain traveling for college. You know, we would like drive out to Michigan State like 11 hours for a game because like, you know, you're college students, you can't really afford like the air travel. And uh, I remember 2019-20, Maryland was one of the, uh, a lot of the projections had them in Greensboro. Um, That was a section of a bracket that year. And I was just so excited to go see that building and kind of, you know, see that history. It's just so cool when you think about the history in that building. Yeah. You know, I think... The Big Ten and the ACC, they, they, I mean, I haven't heard this officially, unofficially. It was like Coach K, once once Maryland left the league, he was like... He, oh, yeah, he, he wasn't playing Maryland. 
<laughs> but it really would have been nice if they would have arranged in the in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I really wanted that. <laughs> I really wanted, like, I was really hoping for that. I'd been hoping that for, for several years. Uh, I grew up with one of those shirts that had, like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, grew up watching that kind of basketball. And Maryland still, I mean, I guess you could argue that maybe Illinois has become a rival, but still hasn't really found that rival. Um, and, I mean, you even saw the Maryland accounts this weekend. Like, I was going to say I was that, surprised. Yeah. Like, I think you retweeted one of them. The Maryland <laughs> accounts were, like, tweeting the crying Duke kid from whenever Maryland <laughs> played Duke. I forget what year that was and, and was reacting was to that thing. Yeah, I think that was uh, around 2006, I think. That, yeah. I mean, that kid is probably off. Well, not probably. He's, he should be grown up now. I wonder, wonder what that kid thinks about yeah. <laughs> yeah, so looking at this ACC tournament for this year, Duke is the top seed. Then you've got Notre Dame at two, North Carolina at three, and Miami at four. The ACC starts before any of the other major conference tournaments with the first round games of the uh, you know lower seeds, the 10 through 15 seeds, starting on Tuesday. Uh, and then that championship will run through Saturday with the championship on Saturday night. Joe, when you look at this bracket, who do you who do you like to kind of win this this whole thing? Um, you're talking about the ACC. Yeah, with the ACC it's tournament. Um, well, you know, Duke probably. Um, you know, I mean, doesn't mean a lot right now saying that. CFCL just saw North Carolina play inspired and win that. Um, so I'm just going to go with with uh, with Duke, and I I would just, you know, we could all probably agree that the emotional send off for Coach K, uh, you know, a great champion, a great sportsman. I mean, this, have we ever heard any negative stuff on Coach K after all these years? It's just incredible, especially in college athletics where, you know, I mean, for years they had the four-year players and then they had they started doing the one and done. But even even that seemed to go fairly seamless. And uh, it doesn't, unless I'm missing something, never seems to be a, any academic misdoings or sportsmanship issues or, you know, whatever or, or whatever um, and and so i would i would think uh that that would be the team i'd go for certainly um you know miami notre dame um then again you know maybe cl's got a team in north carolina that could make a real run and uh well, you touched on it earlier uh, cl that was kind of a surprise uh, you know some people are surprised that hubert davis got the job what a pressure cooker job all he can do is, is just win games and probably took a lot of heat earlier this season uh, to beat Duke. If they could do it again, um, would be amazing. And um, so that uh, that's going to be um, interesting. I, I'd like to go back for, back for just a second. I like it when the ACC tournament is in Greensboro. I, I think it's great for those smaller cities, um, you know, but, but I understand why it would be at Brooklyn to really kind of pass the word around of the, the, the PAC 12, has no teams in Las Vegas or Nevada, but that's where the tournament is held. And so, uh, you know, there's been debates, well, why isn't it held in, in the Bay Area or in Arizona or Los Angeles and, um, you know, those kind of things. So I, I do like that where it gets spread around. And, uh, you know, one team I'm not used to uh, in the ACC is still Miami um, or even Notre Dame for that regard. It doesn't matter. But, uh, so we'll see. So I'm going to go with Duke and, and Duke may be a final four team as well, but, with all this parody, you know, we, we, we don't know. And, and that's the beauty of these, even these conference tournaments. So we, we overlook sometimes, you know, CL, you were up right next to those kids the other night. 
these are young men. You know, we overlook that. We forget sometimes they're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids with all the pressure in the world, all those fans, all the people on social media, uh, and to perform like they do, pressure free throws, pressure shots, you know, coming out of a timeout, man. And that we see that in regular season games. We see it in conference tournament games, and we certainly see it uh, in abundance. And uh, that's why the whole thing's so popular. So um, I, I, I champion parody and, and um, things like that. So, so to answer, uh, Lila, I'm going to go with Duke. Go with Duke because it's the easy answer. It's the safe answer. It's, it's, it's Coach K. And also in that bracket, I also was remiss to mention, Wake Forest is a five seed there, and it's on the same side of a bracket as Duke. I think a few months ago, if you'd asked me kind of a final four vet tournament, I probably would say Duke and Wake Forest, but that's not going to be possible. They can only be in the semifinals there. And then Virginia is going to be a six on the other side as well. I think Duke's kind of going to be out for vengeance a little bit after that that loss and those players are going to be motivated. But if you see a chance for an upset here of Duke not to win at CL, who do you think you know, you've been watching these teams all year. Who do you think is capable of making a run here? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, the, the interesting thing I think with Duke was Coach K's post-game address to, to the crowd in Cameron on Saturday. You could tell he was he was kind of seething, you know, <laughs> after losing and didn't really want to be doing that. And uh, he even hit the crowd with the be quiet because, you know, <laughs> when he was like, this is unacceptable and, and – the crowd trying to give just approval, like it's okay, kind of that kind of clapping and encouragement. And he was like, nah, <laughs> hold up. But um, I think they're going to come out focused. I really think it, it's, it is their tournament to lose, I think. Um, Bancaro, Paolo Bancaro showed in that first half against Carolina, he scored 15, that if it when he's focused on it, no one can stop him. When he when he is just aggressive and and wants to get a basket, I don't really feel like there's anybody in the league that can stop him. The problem is he doesn't always play that way. And I, I think I think they're gonna make the tweets to make sure that he does um in the tournament. But that being said, I think Florida State is interesting as an eight seed and might give Duke a little bit of problems. Um, in that quarterfinal game. Florida State did beat Duke in the regular season uh, by a point in overtime. They've had so many injuries, you know, between that game and, and finishing the season, but they've gotten a couple of their players back, um, including Caleb Mills, who, who was a transfer from Houston um, and, and was really starting to come into his own, you know, before his injury there. Um, so uh, aside from that, just that particular game, um, I think Miami is a team that could make some noise that nobody really talks about uh, it'd be, uh, for whatever reason. But they have, you know, between Charlie Moore, point guard, Cameron McGusty, and, and Isaiah Wong, kind of the, that that three-guard offense. Um, I feel like March generally belongs to the guards, <laughs> and and I think they could they could make some noise. And and Carolina, I. I I hesitate with them all, all season because whenever they've shown to play a great game, they've always come back with the letdown. And usually the letdown is 20 point letdown. So um, I, I, I want to say this win at Duke will make it different in the tournament and, and that they can use that to a springboard to, to maybe reach in that championship game. 
um, on Saturday night, maybe even playing Duke again for part three uh, of the rivalry this season. But it, it's one of those things where I got I got to wait and see it. You know, I got I got to wait and see with those guys. But um, I, I do think uh, if, if you had to ask me for a dark horse team, I'd take Miami. Miami is the 16th uh, best in the country for adjusted offensive efficiency. You know, their defense is down there, but, you know, they are playing with one of the best offenses in the country. And like you mentioned with the guards, that could be interesting. Joe, I believe you had another dark horse you wanted to add. Yeah, you know, uh, on the spirit of coaches who defy aging, you know, uh, Mike Shoskeski at 75. How about Jim Beheim, 77 years old. He's the number nine seed, got open against Florida State. So let's say for the sake of argument, Syracuse wins that ACC opener. They would play Duke. They would be two uh, veteran, classy, fun guys. Jim Beheim, you know, he's back home in, in Brooklyn and in the New York area. Um, he played at Syracuse from 1963 through 66. Head coach, or he's been he's been coaching at Syracuse since 1969, since 1976 as the as the uh, the head. He's 77 years old. Amazing, amazing. And I'm looking over his bio here. Um, Final fours: 1987, 96, 2003, 13, 16. So the guy is remains relevant. I, I'm I'm blown away um, at how you know. I mean, remember we remember when Dean Smith was seemed exhausted and tired at. at 65 and these guys have surpassed yeah. him um and good diet and good health and good spirit but it doesn't mean the pressure is any less and these guys made a fortune in salary and endorsements and all that so why they do it because this is what they do this is who they are and uh college basketball is going to lose a, a giant in mike shiseski and and at some point same with uh with Beheim. and i wouldn't be surprised if Beheim you know, calls it a career after the season. I don't think he's announced anything, but, you know, you have a good, like you get into the tournament, it would be his 37th NCAA tournament. Um, so that's just incredible. And, you know, you think about college basketball, um, you don't think so much of the players all the time, especially in the era of the one and done, but you always remember the coaches. The coaches are the guys who who, who stand out. And, and even Mark Pugh of, of Gonzaga, you know, the mid-major on the West Coast, and people may not remember the players, but they know that that guy's been around. Uh, you know, when Butler was doing good things a few years ago and all those kind of things. So, uh, no, that's cool. So if there's a dark horse, maybe with 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 um, a, a real reason and cause to boost their coach one one final run, I could see Syracuse doing some damage to doing that. Yeah, I mean, Jim Beheim has been pretty – it's been interesting seeing his interaction with reporters post-game and things like that when he's been asked if he wants to come back for another year, very insistent that this is not his last season and he's going to come back. But I guess you kind of never know there. But Syracuse has lost four games in a row to end the regular season. It's actually their longest uh, losing streak of the year and now 15 and 16 on the season. So I would imagine he is eager to, you know, at least get them up to 500. So certainly going to be an exciting tournament. And we are going to get into all of the other high majors. But first, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsors. Make the big moments possible with First Federal Bank of Kansas City's March Rate Special. Earn 0.55 annual percentage yield when you open a new 11-month certificate of deposit. Already bank with us? Get started by depositing $25,000 in new funds. New to First Federal? Join us with a $1,000 deposit. Learn more at ffbkc.com moments and meet our team at any banking center to open your account today. Visit ffbkc.com moments for more. First Federal Bank of Kansas City. Because banking is personal. Member 
FDIC. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Another tournament that I'm really excited about, the Big 12. Well, I guess we'll just kind of go in alphabetical order here. Big 12 tournament, you have number one Kansas as that number one seed. The two seed is Baylor. Then you've got three seed Texas Tech, four seed Texas, uh, five is TCU, six is Iowa State, uh, seven Oklahoma, eight Kansas State, and nine West Virginia. Oklahoma State is not being allowed to compete in the postseason this year because of all of their stuff with the NCAA. So they're not even going to be competing in the Big 12 championship. I'm going can we, to can we boo on the podcast? Yeah, like I, I, it's I ridiculous. Hate that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's it's ridiculous. And now you've got this kind of nine seed tournament, which is a bit odd. You've got a first round matchup on Wednesday of just you know one game on Wednesday between Kansas State and West Virginia. Uh, so it's kind of weird having only nine teams in in the tournament there. And and definitely I agree. You know, just kind of ridiculous that those players are are being punished for that. And that was you know, a whole situation there. This should be a really fun tournament. I feel like even though you've had Kansas and Baylor as really those top teams in the league, all of these games have been so close and so exciting. A lot of teams that play a really fun style, um, but also are very tough and gritty. And I think it's going to be a very hard fought tournament. I guess either of you, do you see Kansas and Baylor coming out of this or do you see maybe someone getting the upset here? I, I like, I'll go first, CL. I, I would think Baylor, you know, uh, has been on a roll the last couple of years. Um, I mean, I would be, I think we'd all be surprised if Baylor doesn't get to the conference finals and, and maybe even win the final thing. And of course, uh, you know, Kansas as well is, 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 is certainly done this forever and, and, and being a top seed. But yeah, I would be surprised. I think we'd all be surprised if one of those two teams isn't in the final. Yeah, I think, uh, I like I love Baylor's chances of of winning it. Um, but for for some reason, I just even though they they've had you know their injury setbacks, it seems like Scott Drew, who probably isn't talked enough talked about enough on in terms of national on a national level as being uh, a great coach uh, for for a lot of teams to have two of their big guys go down, um, you know. They they would have their their season would have been it would have been decimated like they would have plummeted but he's he's managed to absorb those hits and keep going. I also think Baylor has the best point guard in in James Akinjo. Um, and again, I always go back in March, man. I, that's that's <laughs> how I pick my teams in March. I like when I like a point guard when I when I love what they do and how they can manage a game. Um, those are the teams I generally go with. So that's that's why I like uh, I like Baylor in this. But I also say Texas Tech. If you're talking about a team that that you know besides Baylor and Kansas that could win it, I, I think you have to look at them. Texas Tech beat Baylor, swept them in yeah. the regular season. 
Um, and, you know, they're on that side of the bracket as, as a three seed, Baylor's two. So uh, that would be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I would love to see that as a semifinal matchup. So if Texas Tech were to beat Iowa State and Baylor were to beat Oklahoma, you would have that as one of the semifinals. And like you mentioned, Baylor lost both its games to Texas Tech. Uh, the first one, it lost at home 65-62 back on January 11th. And then on February 16th, it lost 83-73 on the road. I, I think that would be a great, great matchup. Definitely be a fun defensive matchup. Um, you know, it's hard to be a team three times in one season, and it's very hard to picture Scott Drew allowing his squad to lose to a team three times in a row. So that'll certainly be interesting as well there. And then on the other side of a bracket, that game between Texas and TCU, I feel like we haven't really talked about TCU that much this year, but that's a team that I certainly wasn't expecting to be in contention for the tournament before the season. They had a ton of turnover on that roster. And right now they're projected as an eight seed and should squarely be in there regardless and split a game with Kansas beat Kansas at home, and then lost to them on the road. So that'll definitely be interesting there. And then Texas as another team that came into the season really highly ranked, hasn't necessarily lived up to expectations, but still a team with a 21-10 and 10 record that is surely going to make the NCAA tournament. So I just think there's a lot of potential, even if it ends up where we get the two teams that we we're expecting in the end. I think it's just going to be such a fun tournament to watch with a lot of really high level play you know um you, you talk about uh baylor wins the national championship last season sacramento kings here um drafted davion mitchell uh, a defensive standout and he he's helped the kings uh and and here's baylor just keeps on going and we think of all of these teams from texas and their power powerhouse football programs over the decades. Well, Baylor won a national championship last season uh, out of Texas and Texas Tech was in the uh, um, NCAA championship in, in 2019, losing to Virginia. So it's, uh, uh, we, we know that the, the, the fanaticism, the fans are all over it. And um, I'm sure it's going to be great crowds in Kansas city and Lila, are you going to be cover- Are you going to be there? You're going to cover some of that. Yeah. I'll be at that one and I'll be at the women's as well. It's kind of cool. They're, with the women's, they have the Big 12 women's as the last week, whereas all the ones were this past week, but the women's will be there. And so they're in two different buildings, but they're about a 10-minute walk from each other. So I'll be going back and forth between those two and should be a lot of fun. Great. So this next tournament up on the list is one I'm really excited about. The Big East has had a resurgence this year. The league just seemed really down last year and... I mean, it's just been so much fun this year with Providence as that top seed in the conference. Then you'll have Villanova at two, UConn at three, Creighton at four, and Marquette at five. Things got really crazy with the Big East tournament last year of seeing Georgetown somehow win that whole thing. I don't see that happening again with Georgetown not having a single win in Big East play. Um, so I can't say I see I can see something crazy like that happening, but I think there's a lot of chance for chaos in this conf- in this conference tournament. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I love Providence, the toughness that they have, um, that they've shown uh, this season under Ed Coley. A lot of people, for some reason, a lot of people said they've gotten lucky 
<laughs> with with some of the things that they had a couple of games um canceled because of of covid and and they didn't make up so you know they they ended up not playing as many games as everyone else in the conference but i still ultimately feel like the Villanova and Jay Wright has had a stranglehold on this conference to me, you know, for, for the past few years. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's like a heavyweight champion. You have to knock out the champ, you know, to win. You can't win on points. You can't win on the cards. So uh, I, I like Villanova's chances of emerging in this, um, in this tournament, but I, I do also like the fact that UConn is back in the conference and back in the conference tournament uh, for the first time since what, 20, 2014. I, I don't even remember the, the last year, um, you know, for, for these, those years they played in the American conference. It's going to be, I, I feel like it's going to be a rabid UConn fan base in New York packing Madison square garden whenever they play. And, and as Joe touched on earlier, like that, that is what college basketball is. That's what March basketball yeah. is. Um, oh, it's, uh, it's having so those cool. kind of crowds. Yeah. You know, and, and then the upstarts, you know, Providence, you know, for us old timers, Providence in 1986 or 87 with Rick Pitino, the upstarts, and they're in the final four. And, and then, uh, and then, you know, they come roaring back here of late Villanova with Jay Wright's won two national championships in recent years. Certainly, Raleigh Massimuno had that great run, and um, you know, a few decades ago in '86 or '87, uh, you know, and, and and when the Big East, uh, Lila, I think you touched on it. Uh, the Big East is is back. It was so big. The Big East in the 1980s, when ESPN came of age, was what helped really elevate the college basketball game. We think of Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird in the 1979 NCAA final. Well, it was. It really started cooking in the 80s with uh, the Big East. Um, I think it was Big Monday on, on Big East basketball on ESPN, and it really rose to, to prominence with uh, Patrick Ewing and, and John Thompson and Luke Karnaseka uh, at St. John's, and, um, and and that's when uh, Jim Beheim was at, uh, you know, Syracuse was in this conference. And, uh, you know, so now, and then Butler in recent years has done good things. So now they're a nine seed and here's Georgia, Georgetown with Patrick Ewing as a coach is an 11 seed. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's just so cool. And you know, that there'll be a lot of alums, former players, uh, people who went to those schools will be going to these games. Um, and they, they, there was no tournament last year. It is, or a couple of years ago, but there is now. And, and I think it's fun. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it seems logical to, say Providence wins it, but, but we don't know with parody being the, the main theme for this whole season. That's, that makes it fun. That makes it a blast. If it was so, if it was too predictable, Lila, it would be no fun. Yeah. And I think what's going to be really interesting is you're going to, if Villanova and UConn win those first games, that could be a semi-final matchup that I think would be incredible. That game between UConn and Villanova, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, that was on March 2nd, was such a good game that UConn won 64-62 at home, was their first win over Villanova in a really long time. Another team in this tournament, Seton Hall, is a sixth seed. Another team with 20 wins on the season that has won five games in a row. Uh, Creighton has been able to come up with some upsets this year. They've beaten uh, Connecticut, They've beaten Marquette, which is another team in this conference in its first year under Shaka Smart. 
that has outperformed expectations 19 and 11 on the year. They've kind of had a slide as of late a little bit, uh, you know, just going back and forth with wins and losses after getting a good streak going there. But there's just so many possibilities with this conference and I just think so many of these games are going to be good. I mean, outside of maybe Seton Hall, Georgetown, if you get then, uh, you know, a Seton Hall, UConn game, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a St. John's or DePaul versus Villanova, uh, Creighton Marquette as one of those quarterfinal matchups has potential to be a really good game. So it's definitely going to be interesting who comes out of there. And I think Providence definitely, this is a conference where Providence really got lucky getting that one seed being that they're not going to need to get through Villanova or UConn to get to that final matchup. Great points. Great points. And, and you know, here's the fun part of it. You're a number one seed. It means nothing. It means you get mm-hmm. a bye, uh, and then the pressure's on you. And uh, that's the fun part of seeing how, how they respond, how they, you know, what they do from here. And uh, Yeah, you're right. It's, it's coming fast and furious right around the corner this week. Yeah, I think that 4-5 matchup, Creighton and Marquette, could could end up being a play-in game for uh, the NCAA tournament for Creighton. I feel like they're a, a bubblicious mm-hmm. team. Um, and, you know, when they lost their point guard, Ryan Nimhart, um, he, he's missed the last three games, I guess it is. You know, they've gone one and two in those three games. So uh, will we continue to see a slide? And then will that, you know, slide them out of the big dance or, or will they get it right, get the ship right at, We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, See some bubble did implications. You say uh, yeah. I, I like <laughs> that, that. I like that. That, that, that. that fits right in. You know, the bracketology and bubblicious. Well done, sir. <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned, Creighton right now in projections is a last four by. And then Xavier, another team in that tournament, is on the last four in. So a lot of bubble implications with that tournament, which will definitely be fun. The next tournament on our list, the Big Ten, I truly have no, like, I've been watching a ton of Big Ten basketball. I've covered this tournament for the last four years before taking this job in Kansas City. I truly have no clue who's going to win this conference. Um, the Big Ten has been crazy this year, uh, as it has been in recent years. You've got Illinois and Wisconsin were the co-regular season champions, and Illinois will be the one seed there. Wisconsin is the two seed. Purdue is the three seed. Rutgers is four. At five, you got Iowa, six, Ohio State, seven, Michigan State, uh, eight, Michigan, which is supposed to be getting Juwan Howard back. Um, And, you know, obviously some other teams down the line there as well. But I mean, this just seems like a conference that truly anyone could win this. It's just been a league of upsets all year. And, you know, some of the dominant teams in this conference haven't necessarily continued to dominate or or go out and just you know run over the competition it seems like there's been possibilities for upsets on any night is there a clear favorite to win this conference in your mind CL? like do you have any clue who could win this not a chance (laughs) i think this might end up being one of the best uh, yeah best conference tournaments in in the nation this year i i do I haven't checked to see what the latest is. I know Johnny Davis got hurt uh, from mm-hmm. Wisconsin in that Nebraska game, and um, and they end up losing to Nebraska, which was a nine-win team until that until beating Wisconsin. So, if Johnny Davis, you know, is is hurt long time or long term, I think that 
you know, uh, <laughs> I, I would go ahead and take Wisconsin out of the possibility of winning this tournament and, and even doing anything in the NCAA um, because I, I feel like so much he's, he to me is a, you know, first team all American and, and definitely in the running for that national player of the year, wooden award, Naismith award, all those, all those big awards. Um, yeah. Just to uh, chime in real quick there. So Andy Katz tweeted yesterday, Greg Garg is optimistic that Davis will play on Friday. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that <laughs> that, that could change everything. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, um, uh, I, I, with him in the lineup, I'm I'm big on Wisconsin. Um, you know, I, I like the way that they just seem to to tough it out. It's not necessarily I feel like on paper that they're better talent wise than really anybody. And matter of fact, as you saw against Nebraska in that loss, you take Johnny Davis out of the lineup, mm-hmm. they're they're a pretty average yeah. team. They're pretty pretty regular team, but I, I just think that, um, you know, they, they just have, uh, I, I don't know if it's cause they're playing with, with veteran guys. Uh, Brad Davison seems like he's been there forever, obviously. Um, but I, I, I like Nebraska. I mean, I like Wisconsin in the, in the big 10. Yeah. Wisconsin definitely is intriguing. They're 24 and six on the season. And and like you mentioned, Johnny Davis really has been their whole offense. He's just been absolutely terrific this year. And I think that's what's intriguing about the Big Ten tournament is you have so much talent in this conference that you haven't necessarily had as much in recent years of just these so many guys that are going to be national contenders for player of the year that are going to be first team All-Americans. You've got a guy like Jaden Ivey, of course, for Purdue, who's just been he's been so good this year, um, you know, for Illinois, you've got Kofi Coburn, just dominant down low. EJ Liddell has been playing like, uh, you know, national player type candidate. Ohio State's kind of had a slide here, losing three of their last four games, including losses to Maryland and also Nebraska, who, you know, has not had a good season. They're 10 and 21, but they've won their last three games. So that's kind of an intriguing bit within itself there. But I mean, Purdue, you've also got Zach Eady. Then, I mean, not even touching on Iowa, Keegan Murray, Michigan State has a lot of exciting, you know, not as much kind of talent guys, but I mean, I really like Malik Hall as a point guard. And they've got some interesting freshmen there, Max Christie and other guys who could maybe step up and make a leap. So I'm definitely intrigued by what we're going to see from that tournament. A lot of parody, a lot of good stuff. That's a tournament that could have neither the one or two um, seed in there. And uh, what you just said, Lila, about Nebraska is interesting. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, that's what makes it so fun is is what happens. And, and I can't imagine why people, I, I understand why people bet and gamble uh, <laughs> in sports. Uh, I never do it. I don't, I don't understand the logic of it, but I can, I can, I see why they do it, but this is where you lose your, your shorts and your second car and, and, and your, 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 your marbles when you try to project and forecast winners in tournaments that are so full of parody like this one. Right. So you've got Illinois and Rutgers are going to be on the same side of that bracket. Rutgers, another team that, I mean, it's just kind of crazy to see them as a four seed there. Um, so you're going to have Illinois, Rutgers, Iowa and Michigan all on one side. 
and then Michigan State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Purdue, all on the other. I'm interested to see, now that we're in conference tournament time, does Purdue step it up defensively? And the one thing that's really been concerning me with Purdue as well, I tweeted this other day, is their late-game situations. They've had a bunch of late-game situations, whether it's guarding or bringing the ball in, just inbound situations have been pretty concerning in some late games of just whether it's botching an inbounds play, getting the ball to one of their teammates and turning it over, or letting other teams get open looks on those late in games. So now that we're in the time of year that matters most, is Purdue going to be able to finally figure out that defense and come together on that end of the floor? Because that offense is so special. If they can you know, start figuring out that defense, that'll definitely be a special thing to see. Illinois, again, another team that like we mentioned, was able to win a share of the regular season championship and just has dominant play. Um, And they have a guy like Kofi Coburn who's been so dominant down low, but I think what's exciting about the Big Ten this year is you have more of this guard play. For so many years, it's really centered around a lot of these big men down low and how dominant they are. And of course, you know, Purdue, who is a great guard, Jaden Ivey, still has Zach Eady and Travion Williams and great guys down low, but to see a lot of the teams led by guards this year, Ron Harper Jr. for Rutgers, Keegan Murray for Iowa, that's what I'm most excited for in this conference is to maybe, you know, have more three-point shooting and have some other aspects of the game instead of everything just being kind of funneled through down low. No, every time I I hear Rutgers mentioned, I I just want to go into Jimmy Valvano's speech, (laughs) iconic speech from the ESPYs. All I hear is his voice saying, you know, your your religion, your family, and Rutgers basketball. (laughs) That's all I can hear. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I mean, I think they would be people might be talking about them more if they didn't stumble earlier in the mm-hmm. season and ha- have those bad losses. But they're, they're definitely, I feel like a dark horse team that, you know, could, could surprise in, in the big 10 tournament. I feel like it's hard to even pick who's going to win this tournament. <laughs> I, I don't really know what I would say if asked who's going to win. I, I, I think I do like Rutgers as a dark horse. And I think on our first episode, I mentioned them as one of my favorite bubble teams. And so I would like to see that. I think Illinois has been really good as well, or I could see Purdue winning. But I guess before we move on to the other conferences, I'll just ask, instead of asking who will win it, because I think that's just so hard to pick with this one, what matchup do you most want to see at any point in this tournament? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, uh. (laughs) Uh, that's I want to see Michigan, question. Wisconsin drama part two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that would be crazy if Juwan Howard comes back and just leads them to the final, <laughs> and then they face Wisconsin. That would be quite the storyline. <laughs> How about Rutgers, the one team that seems like an odd fit in this in the Big Ten, uh, winning it? Wouldn't that be something? And <laughs> uh, you know, and of course, uh, we know somebody on this podcast is a Maryland Terrapins backer, so you know. Uh, maybe they could win a game. Maybe they could compete. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say a backer just having covered them now for a few years, but it would be nice to see them have a not end below 500. I'll say that. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll rephrase it, not backer, but uh, somebody who knows the, yeah. the Terrapins and has covered them. Yes. All right. Uh, CL, any any 
You know what? Uh, I think I think I'd like to see uh, a Purdue Illinois final, probably. Um, to answer your question, though, Purdue is what they are. <laughs> like <they're> not, <laughs> yeah. their defense isn't. They're not going to get any better defensively, but they definitely can outscore teams. And and you know when it comes down to just trying to get a stop, <laughs> just one stop, I think you know. Edie can make things difficult in the middle, you know, and may, maybe they can muster up when, mm-hmm. when they need to for a particular possession. But um, I do love watching Jaden Ivey play. I'll say that too. Um, uh, I, I would say him and, and Johnny Davis are my two favorite individual talents. Uh, and, and Keegan Murray is a close third from the big 10, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd want to see that matchup. Yeah, and, and with Johnny Davis and Jay Nivey, I mean, that's why I want to see in a semifinal matchup. I want to see another matchup of uh, Purdue and Wisconsin. That game was so good between Purdue and Wisconsin earlier in the year of just those two guys going back and forth, a down-to-the-wire game. I think that would be so much fun. So that's going to be my pick there. And then, again, another conference. Like we said, it seems like there's a lot of parity this year. The Pac-12 feels like something wild always seems to happen there. And Arizona seems so ahead of the pack in regard to this league. But I feel like this Pac-12 energy is just that something weird can happen. Uh, Joe, as a guy who's on the West Coast, uh, how excited are you for this Pac-12 tournament? What are your thoughts on on the field here? You know, I think you touched on it, Lila. It's... um... You know, the Pac-12, the Pac-10, uh, it used to be the conference of, of champions. And so we all know that UCLA won a bunch of them in the 70s and 60s, won, last, won in 75. So since UCLA won it in 1995, and then Arizona is the last Pac-12 team to win it from, from that conference in 1997, Mike Bibby. So since then, I'm going to just read off in quick order. These are all the heavies that have won it. Kentucky. Connecticut, Michigan State, Duke in 2001, Maryland, Syracuse, Connecticut, North Carolina, Florida in 2006, Florida again, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke in 2010, Connecticut, Kentucky, Louisville, Connecticut, Duke, Villanova, North Carolina, Villanova, Virginia, canceled due to COVID, and then Baylor. So so we haven't even, we've had Gonzaga, a West Coast team in the finals in 2021, 2017 as well, lost to North Carolina uh, uh, with coached by Roy Williams. So it's what has happened to the, to the PAC 12 in the same kind of narrative in college football, the college football playoff, the PAC 12 hasn't done anything. And um, that's how college sports are, 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 are measured. And you think of the NCAA basketball, they, they've got to do something. You got to get back to the final four. So here's Arizona uh, nationally ranked in a top five. Doesn't mean anything now, UCLA, USC, Colorado, a lot of, uh, I mean, even though some of the bottom teams, Stanford, Cal, Utah have had some some inspired wins, and Oregon State is, is, is in a tank at three and twenty-seven. So um it's uh it, it should be Arizona as a top seed. Um probably Arizona versus Arizona State in, in a in a first round game, Arizona with a bye, Arizona State taking on Stanford. Um it's just a lot of pressure on, on, on coach Hurley at uh, Arizona state. So it's, uh, you know, UCLA and USC that there's talk about those coaches moving on. I mean, these guys just come and go. Um, and how do you solidify your standing? You got to win these games. You got to win these games. And 
you know, and, and CL and, and, and Lila, the, the, the Pac-12 doesn't have the frenetic fan participation at regular season games or in the, or in the conference tournaments. So where you guys are canned uh, and CL and, and the, the ACC and Lila, the, the conferences that you, you've uh, done, so much more intensity and, and, and all. It doesn't mean the Pac-12 doesn't care as much. They just don't have the same kind of following, same in football. Um, and so, you know, I think the Pac-12 badly needs to have a Final Four team to, to remain relevant. It's so critical in image. It's critical in recruiting, uh, all of that stuff. You know, yeah, it matters. It matters big. And, and, and the Pac-12 has just kind of been left behind. Um, and Arizona's stacked and loaded and talented with, with the talent to get back to the Final Four. But if, 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 if they don't get to a Final Four, the Wildcats, it's another downer season for that conference. CL, do yeah, you think, I, oh yeah, go ahead. Do you think Arizona say, gets out of here? Or? Well, I, I want to see the Arizona uh, UCLA rubber match. Uh, you know, they just split on their home courts, both winning by double digits. I think, I think uh, UCLA won by thirteen at home, and and then uh, Arizona won by ten in Tucson. So uh, I, I would really, I wouldn't mind seeing that being kind of uh, being the, the title game coming up. But I, I think. You know, it's been an, an interesting year to me with, with UCLA coming in as, as such, coming off of a Final Four appearance and generating such momentum from this season. Um, I, I won't say it, it feels like a letdown where they are, but it, but it almost seems like even though they're a number two seed, they have, they've had a great year. It almost seems like they haven't they have they still haven't tap their potential totally if that if that mm-hmm. even makes sense like I, I still feel like they have another gear or another level to get to and uh and now is the time you know to show it if if that is actually the case so um uh, I'm, I'm a big mick cronin guy um uh I, I like what he did at cincinnati i go back all the way to his time at murray state um that's when i was also uh, reporting for the Louisville newspaper in Kentucky. So uh, I've kind of tracked his career all, all along. And I, I think last year's tournament run uh, might bode well for them, you know, coming into this postseason as well. And I think it's going to be stuff. interesting. I think Oregon as a five seed – when we did, I think, the first episode of this podcast, I said they were a bubble team I was selling and – it seems like that's kind of turned out right. We're not really on track to make the tournament right now, but who knows? Maybe they come out and kind of give a little bit of a fight there. I think they easily beat Oregon State and then would face Colorado. I think that would be an intriguing game. And then if we got Oregon-Arizona again, they played a really good game that Arizona ended up winning 84-81 at home. Just a really fun offensive game. And, uh, you know, Dana's such a good coach that, I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to do something there. I don't really see them beating Arizona in the, in a semifinal matchup there, but I certainly think it would be a great matchup and be intriguing. And then USC as well as another team that, you know, has been ranked all year, but hasn't necessarily, um, you know, beaten a lot of good teams. I mean, they've lost to Arizona twice. They split with UCLA. So, you know, and they've lost their last two games, Arizona and UCLA. So maybe they're able to come out and do something. Could definitely be an interesting tournament. I mean, you saw Oregon State do what they were able to do last year. 
again, another kind of wacky thing that I don't see happening again. But with all of those kind of heavy hitters there of Arizona, UCLA, and USC as teams that have split back and forth this year, that'll definitely be a lot of fun. But I think I'm going to have to stick with Arizona's winning that whole thing. I agree. I agree. I, I, I see Arizona and UCLA in the final. Uh, CL brought up a good point. It'd be a rubber match. Um, but if, if, if Arizona and UCLA, one of them, don't get to this tournament final, it's just um, you know, they'll certainly get into the tournament. But uh, that'll win these things um, to, to save face for the whole conference. Um, yeah, they feel it. They understand it. That's why these coaches were brought in at UCLA and USC to make a difference. And, I, I do think uh, one last thing on, on Arizona that, that Tommy Lloyd should be national coach of the year. I mean, <laughs> there, there was no reason to expect Arizona to have this kind of a season based on uh, who they had coming back and based on the situation of, of, you know, just a new coach coming in altogether and um, who, who had no prior uh, head coaching experience. So, you know, for him to come in and, and, to, to get them to the place that they are, I think it's been, Good it call. should be worthy of, of Good call. Uh, yeah. that award. Yeah, great calling. And then to- I wish that award was announced before the tournament because, you know, we see it in the NFL and the NBA where uh, the regular season MVP gets named during the, you know, announced during the playoffs at night. Like, well, you know, and they're already eliminated or something. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you're right. There, there's, there's two different seasons. There's the regular season and then there's the postseason season. So now to move on, the last high major conference left is the SEC. Another one here where it seems like really anyone could win it. Auburn as the number one seed. Tennessee is number two, Kentucky is three, Arkansas is four, and then you've got LSU at five, and then the weirdest team in the country, uh, Alabama, at six there. (laughs) Uh, So you're going to have Auburn and Arkansas on that same side of a bracket, and then Tennessee and Kentucky on the other side. Uh, We've got to wrap up in a little bit quickly here. I know, CL, you've got to hop off quickly to do a radio hit, but... Who are you liking to win the SEC? You know, um, again, I, I feel like, as I said, with, with uh, Villanova, I look at Kentucky kind of in a similar way in the SEC. I, I know that they weren't, you know, the champions in, in the regular season, but it, it's still Kentucky. They're still going to have the most fans. Um, uh, the blue gets through or something. I forgot their little phrase that they use <laughs> in terms of the ticket ticket buying power that they have. Um, I think Oscar Toshibwe is, is a, also a national player of the year. Um, he's had that kind of a season, whether he actually wins it or not. Um, there are obviously other, other noteworthy people, but I think when they were healthy before they, you know, Ty Ty Washington and, and Sabir Willer had some, some injuries and kind of been nicked up. I thought they were really getting on a roll and then those injuries happened and, and it's kind of been, touch and go from here. But um, I, I think they get it, get it rolling in the postseason, get it together. I, this is a team I see being a final four, four worthy team. Um, but it is, as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a loaded, loaded year this year in the SEC. So um, if they don't win it, it, it wouldn't necessarily be surprising, but I, I, I feel like until you knock Kentucky out, that's the team I'm going with. You know, I'm going to go a little different. I'm, I'm going to go with, with an upstart, if that's a, if you could call a four seed an upstart, but uh, 
I, I can see the uh, Arkansas making a real run here and getting to the finals and really making a run in a tournament as well. I'm going to pin it on one guy, um, um, Eric Musselman. And, and we know that coaches make a huge difference. And he, um, you know, his dad was a longtime coach in the Big Ten at Minnesota. And he, uh, Coach Musselman, um, you know, wanted to get in the NBA and was a head coach with the Warriors and the Kings. And uh, that didn't work. And um, But what has worked is what he's done in college. And he did some magical things at Nevada uh, as a mid-major getting into the tournament, winning their conference tournament and, and, and winning a game or two or so um, in the NCAA. And he, he's, he's, he's full of enthusiasm. He's fired up. He's, he, he's right in there with the fans and, and jubilant locker rooms. And I think that's, that's contagious. And I think that's the kind of stuff that could, could help carry a team, um, and, and, you know, he's going to have them all ready and fired up in this tournament. I think that's exactly why he's a great fit in college because it can be so fun and spirited. And we talked earlier, you got Jim Beheim at 77 doing this since 1976 and Mike at uh, 75 doing it just as about just as long. Uh, and then you got Musselman who's probably, I don't want to age you coach, but he's probably 52, 53, maybe a little older, but he, he acts like he's 12 and that's a great thing in college mm -hmm. basketball. So, uh, I could see him doing some wonders just because he, he has that magic power. And I would almost argue though, also of a guy though for Arkansas, but I'm really impressed with is JD Note, who has just been tremendous as a guard this season. He's averaging 18.9 points per game. And I mean, just has been absolutely dominant for them. Another guy that I don't think is being really talked about enough on the national scale. Um, I, I've been really, really impressed with what I've seen from him. And I think, you know, like you said, CL, uh, guards are really important in the postseason. And I think he, he's that guy there that is going to come through for them in that regard. So excited to see how he plays. And then, you know, Auburn is a, really good team there as well. And that'll make for a good matchup uh, if we're able to get that between them. Um, you know, Auburn, I feel like has kind of slid off a little bit in, in recent weeks, hasn't been performing as at as high of a level as we had seen at the beginning of the season. You know, right now they've won their last two against Mississippi state and South Carolina, uh, you know, kind of some bottom teams in the conference, but they had lost to Florida and lost to Tennessee if a win to Mississippi in between. But Jabari Davis in the postseason, I'm interested to see, you know, does Bruce Pearl kind of have a talk with his players and his team to really figure out who is going to have the ball in late game situations? How do we get uh, Jabari to create more of his own shots late in games, you know, getting KD Johnson and, you know, getting that entire team as well, uh, Wendell Green, their point guard, to really kind of understand who's who the ball needs to be in late in late game situations, who needs to be taking those shots. I think as a coach, that's kind of a conversation you got to have a little bit before we get in the March Madness here, because that's been a concern in some late game situations for them. Uh, that's not a conversation. That's that's a dictator. <laughs> so, uh, get the ball, yeah. Jabari. That is the guy. <laughs> Who's going to make or break Auburn's run? I, I think uh, both Wendell Green and Katie Johnson—they are capable guards, but I, I think they they overstate what their role should be sometimes. I think they kind of get into 
their individual deal and not really understand that Jabari is yeah. <laughs> is is the man or should be the man for them. Right, and then yeah, he's no. the player. I mean, he's what's the other great thing about these tournaments is the star power and who's the next you know lottery pick and, and Jamari Smith is is it could be the top pick in a draft uh, or the top two or three or something and 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 these tournaments uh, whether you're going live or watching on TV you can see how these guys play we've seen it over forever and I think it's really cool but but uh, Lila you brought up a good point point um, he can't do it alone it's, he's got to you know be able to create shots and, and and there's a lot of pressure on him now and he wants it that's why he that's why he's here that's why he. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's it's just really cool to see how these guys do and and and, and their moment is now. Right. And then Tennessee has won nine of ten games. I haven't really bought into them fully all year. There's nothing there that, you know, really super excites me. Um, though I love the play of their freshman guard, Kennedy Chandler, but that's gonna be another exciting team there. Uh we're gonna get ready to wrap things up here. Like we mentioned, the Mountain West will definitely be another tournament to keep your eye on with Boise State, Colorado State, San Diego State, Wyoming, and UNLV. That is going to start on Tuesday, March 9th, another tournament in Las Vegas. That'll be very exciting. Uh, I guess right really quickly before we wrap up here, we'll just kind of go rapid fire. Who are you liking for a Final Four right now, CL? Final four right now. Um, I'm sticking with uh, the last time I picked. I, I picked Kentucky and Auburn. Um, I, I think talent-wise, the SEC could, could very well have two teams in it. And the, and the thing about it is, it could not be those two teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could I could see, uh, as Joe mentioned, Arkansas. I could see them getting on a roll. Um, uh, well, maybe not. I, I could see one of those three things. I, I don't. I don't know that I see. Like you said, I don't know that I believe in Tennessee uh, in terms of a Final Four. But I'll take those two. I'll take Gonzaga and uh, Purdue as my fourth team. Because, I love it. They're outscoring, not because they're playing defense. <laughs> I'm going to go too easy and too predictable. I think Gonzaga will get there. I think the defending champion Baylor Bears will get there. Um, I'm, I'm taking a reach on Arizona, even though, uh, you know, probably the coach of the year, but uh, the Pac-12 hasn't done it. But I'm going to go with them as well. And probably uh, maybe Kansas or, or Kentucky. It's, it's too hard to say, but, but some of the familiar same crowd. All right, Joe, yours was pretty close to mine because I had Gonzaga, uh, Baylor and Arizona. And then I'm going to go with Kentucky as my last one. We're less than a week away from Selection Sunday. The tournament's starting soon. Such an exciting time. So thank you guys so much for joining. Thank Thank you, Lila. CL, good to hear your voice.